His scrupulous, exact, and judicious speeches captivate the committee into issuing the Macmillan Report of 1931, calling for a planned economy of a type that would later be known as Keynesian. A man in his fifties who knows the creativity of inconsistency and defines someone of perfect consistency as the man who has his umbrella up whether it rains or not, revises his ideas and publishes his general theory of employment, interest, and money in 1936. This founding text, if not the absolute original creator, of macroeconomics becomes the most important economics book of the 20th century. It proves as important as Adam Smith's Wealth of Nations in inaugurating an economic era. We were pedestrian, perhaps a little complacent, said A. C. Pigou, a senior Cambridge economist who often resisted his ideas. General theory broke resoundingly that dogmatic slumber. Whether in agreement or disagreement with him, discussion and controversy sprang up and spread over the world. Economics and economists came alive. The period of tranquility was ended. A period of creative thought was born. A dauntless man in his sixties, a weary titan with heart disease, fighting daily at interminable, closely argued and exhausting conferences to save impoverished, war-wrecked Britain from being driven into bankruptcy by the Americans calling in their war loans, knowing that he is sacrificing his life in the effort, and then in mid-Atlantic on the liner Queen Elizabeth, while his exhausted colleagues are asleep, padding down the corridor to the radio room to collect messages reporting how his Anglo-American financial settlement is being decried in England, and retreating to his stateroom to prepare the speech of his lifetime, which will send his attackers scuttling into retreat. Each snapshot shows the same man in similar postures, a disciplined logician with a capacity for glee who persuaded people, seduced them, subverted old ideas, installed new ones, a man whose high brilliance did not give people vertigo, but clarified and lengthened their perspectives. The man was John Maynard Keynes, 1883, to 1946. Keynes was the chief intellectual influence on English public life in the twentieth century. He was England's paramount example of the scholar as man of action. He conceived economic theories in the solitude of his study and in the cut and thrust of discussion. Then he persuaded the politicians and financiers of two continents to implement them. Isaiah Berlin, who worked with him in wartime Washington, thought him the cleverest man he knew, intellectually awe-inspiring. Lord Beaverbrook, the newspaper magnate and master manipulator of opinion, called Keynes in 1945 England's finest living propagandist. Eric Hobsbawm put him in a list of political movers and shapers of the 20th century, together with Lenin, Stalin, Roosevelt, Hitler, Churchill, Gandhi, Mao Zedong, Ho Chi Minh, de Gaulle, Mussolini, and Franco. Before him, economic man lived by the fossil fragments of dinosaur systems. Phrases like Keynesian economics and the Keynesian revolution testify to his influence on both economic theory and government policies. Indeed, Keynesian economics was not as decisive to the world as the Keynesian era, 
that thirty-five-year period after the Second World War, when versions of his economic ideas dominated the economic policies of Western governments, creating a boom that can now be seen as the most sustained period of rapid expansion in history. Keynesianism upheld regulated capitalism. It involved a commitment to full employment at any cost, which, in England, dominated the economic policies of both Labour and Conservative governments from Attlee in 1945 to the onset of Thatcher in 1979. It is as an economist that Keynes is invoked, admired, and deplored. His reputation rests on his writings and interventions in economic policy. Roy Harrod, who published the official biography of him in 1951, Robert Skidelsky, who wrote three masterly volumes at intervals from 1983,